0: Hey everybody, it's Lon Sybin, and it's time once again for your weekly wrap-up, and we've got a bunch of topics to explore this week, including whether or not YouTubers like myself are burning out, some of them are, my podcast back catalog and some interviews that I think are really cool that you might have missed, the state of the wrap-up this show and what we should do with it in the future, Are security cameras really secure, we'll also explore mixed reality versus standalone VR, And I talk about why I don't do more benchmarks on my PC reviews, so let's get to it. Now, I want to begin first by thanking our newest members here on the channel. These two folks came in via Patreon, Austin Mackert and David. I want to thank them and everyone who's been contributing on an ongoing basis, along with all of you who watch on a regular basis, too, because all of those things equal channel growth. And this week's show is being brought to you by Plex and their new podcast feature, Uh, We've talked about Plex a lot here on the channel. They're an ongoing sponsor. It's a great media serving application where you can take your own media and serve it to yourself anywhere in the world using your computer or your network-attached storage device or something like that. But the one thing that was missing were podcasts, which they have now uh, added into the mix here as a new feature that's in beta. But this is available to everyone, including those of you on the free tier, so you don't need a Plex Pass to get this feature I'm just going to show you what it looks like here real quick, so we'll uh, dig in a bit. This is on my computer interface right now, but it's also on your mobile devices as well. And you can see here it's got a bunch of podcasts that I've got on deck. These are individual episodes. Uh, what I can do here is go over to my podcast and see the ones that I've subscribed to. And if I want to find a new one, like let's say we're looking for uh, maybe this week in tech, I can just go and search for that in the search bar here and it will find that. If your podcast that you want is not in the search, you can add it manually by uh, dropping in its RSS feed, and that will add it to the mix. And what I really like about this is that it's recommending things based on what I have subscribed to uh, already. So it's finding a lot of other uh, tech-based shows, including some Mac ones, because I do have the Mac Power users in there. So it is doing, I think, a pretty decent job of finding new things for me to listen to. Uh, But you can also jump through different categories here and kind of dig deeper that way if you want. So you can go into comedy here and uh, poke around and see if there's something that strikes your interest. So I really like the discoverability on this. And... I think this is going to be a nice addition to Plex because uh, podcasts are getting more and more popular. I have one, uh, which I'll talk about in a second. And I listen to a lot of podcasts also when I'm in the car and doing stuff around the house. So it's a really uh, great thing now to see that inside of Plex. Uh, Right now, you cannot download the podcast for offline listening to your devices. You have to be online to listen to them. They only stream at the moment. I am sure they will be adding that at some point in the near future so you can download a whole bunch of stuff, queue it up, and take it with you on the road. But in the meantime, I think they're off to a great start uh, with this new podcasting feature. Now, this podcast feature is available for free on their free tier, but if you are looking for the premium features like the DVR and the cloud servers and the mobile syncing for offline viewing of your other media, you'll need to get a Plex Pass, which is a monthly or a yearly or a one-time lifetime uh, feed depending on how you want to do it and you can find more information on that at lon.tv slash plexpass and i want to thank plex for their support of the show now i would be remiss if i didn't bring up my own podcast here and show you some of the great interviews that i've done over the years that i think you might be interested in uh, so you can go over to lon.tv slash interviews and see uh, some of my back catalog if you will and these are also available in my audio only podcast feed and a few of the highlights here include uh, an interview with the guy that designed the Mars Curiosity rover with that crazy sky crane thing that they did to uh, drop off the latest rover on Mars, and that was a great discussion with him. Uh, we have interviewed the designer of the XPS-13 Ultrabook to talk about what went into that uh, new design. We've uh, talked to folks from Tesla about uh, the company and how they're growing and dealing with the regulators in different states. Uh, we even interviewed the Star Wars animator Phil Tippett Uh, who is the guy that designed many of the creatures that we've all known to uh, love from the Star Wars universe. He was the guy that created most of them, or at least led the team uh, in a number of other instances. So uh, that was a fun one as well. Uh, So lots of good stuff in there. We even have the former CEO of Sega talking about uh, how he marketed the Sega Genesis. So check them all out there. Uh, Again, you can get them on the YouTube channel at that link there, which is the playlist, uh, or you can get them on the audio podcast feed. Cue them up. Uh, because some of these are very underappreciated videos and interviews that I think you might uh, enjoy listening to. So let's take a look now at the week in review. On the Extras channel, we unbox the Wyze Cam Pan and the Oculus Go And we reviewed both of those items this week on the main channel, along with a Lenovo laptop that costs under 300 bucks. I think it's going for about $280 right now, powered by a new Gemini Lake processor. You can find all of those videos linked down below in the master playlist. And now it's time for a couple of things that are on my mind. And this is week 65 of me doing this as a full-time occupation. And uh, we hit a milestone this week. 180,000 subscribers have now signed up here on the channel. So I want to thank everybody for uh, clicking that subscription button and leaving it on. It's been a great period of growth, slow and steady, which is how I like it. And uh, 200,000 is just around the corner. So I want to thank you all for your continued support. And speaking of support and YouTubers and subscribers, uh, there's been a lot of press lately about YouTube's top creators burning out and breaking down en masse. And they're all complaining about how hard it is to do this job. And I think really any small business is this hard. You really do have to put in the time and uh, it's going to wear on you because that is what being a business owner is all about. I do think though there are some things YouTube could be doing better maybe to communicate with us about exactly uh, what we should expect and how to direct our content because there are people who work very, very hard, get themselves up to a point where they've got very steady viewership and then an algorithm change or some policy change completely destroys their business model, and of course that isn't good either, but um, I think for the most part, if you are going to be doing this as a job and want to do it as a job, it requires a lot of work, and you have to be prepared for that. Part of it, though, also is thinking about the kind of content that you're doing. So as you all know, I do uh, mostly on-demand videos. I make a video, I upload it, and you watch it whenever you want. I don't do a lot of live streaming. I could if I wanted to, but it doesn't bring in the kind of viewership over the long tail that the videos that I make do. And I really thought a lot about that when I was uh, building up the channel. What kinds of content do I want to produce? Uh, I would love to do more live streams and show you some of my old retro video games that I uh, like to play over the years. And that might get some viewership at that point in time, but it doesn't have a uh, evergreen kind of long tail to it. Uh, Whereas the product reviews that I do many times don't start out doing very well but do exceptionally well over the long term because the videos have a lot of life to them. Uh, So I really look for when I produce content is stuff that's going to live a while uh, so I don't have to burn myself out continually making content uh, and ending up like some of these other folks have. So I wanna leave you with two thoughts and tips to think about if you are planning to do this as a career at some point. Uh, The first is that you need sustainability, not just economic sustainability for your business, but also sustainability for your own sanity, that if you have developed a business model that requires you to be on camera all day long, seven days a week, and if you stop earning revenue the minute you're off camera, that is not sustainable, Uh, so you really should think about maybe altering your content plan to do some more commoditized content And what that means is basically doing stuff that is discoverable via search. And about 80% still of the traffic that I get on this channel Comes from people who have never seen me before and may not watch me ever again. They came in for a specific product review, got what they needed, and left. And again, that is a bulk of the traffic that I get here on the channel. And what that means is that videos that I did three or four years ago are still being watched relatively frequently, especially for products that have been out in the marketplace for a while. And believe it or not, printers uh, top the list of that sustainable evergreen content, which is why I look at them every once in a while. And you might be wondering, why is he spending so much time on? A a printer there 's real value for that kind of content out there, but at the end of the day, I have to make everything I sell essentially i 'm the face of this channel. people expect that, and uh, that immediately limits what I can do is insofar as reviewing things, which is why I kind of narrowed the focus down to you know affordable computers and other things that uh, interest me in the course of the week i can 't just do everything that 's out there, which is frustrating at times but i 'm trying to figure out some ways to Uh, address that scalability issue. And hopefully I'll figure that out in the next year or two. But just keep that in mind when you get into this, that if you are seeing your channel reliant upon just a constant flow of content like 24-7, that is just not going to be sustainable in the long run. And you might want to pepper in some other stuff that uh, might have longer life to it. How-to videos in particular are really good ways to introduce some of that Uh, Evergreen content because people are always looking for tips and suggestions about how to do stuff, and that can help you uh, supplement your time so that you don't have to really feel like you're chained to your desk all day long. And another thing to think about if you're seeing a bulk of your traffic come from your subscribers is that at some point people do get tired of the same voice all the time and they go and look for new content. In fact, YouTube's algorithm itself, as we discussed last week, is doing this all the time trying to get people to see new and different things. And one of the uh, topics that came up in this article on Polygon was the fact that there is an ever-increasing wave of competition because YouTube's algorithm Uh, is trying to keep people tied into the platform and keep them discovering new personalities to listen to. So uh, if you are, you know, completely a personality-driven channel, there's going to be some degree of lifespan to it. It's not just YouTube. It's even in the broader uh, entertainment industry. You see this all the time. Shows get canceled. Uh, You know, people loved Arsenio Hall for a while back in the 90s, and his show kind of fizzled out as his viewers went elsewhere. So this is the kind of stuff that you got to keep in mind as you're producing your content and finding some ways to diversify what you do, commoditize what you do so that you can continually hit new people and make your life a little bit easier is something that I found to work pretty well for me. And like I said, I do at least take a day on the weekend now, which I wasn't doing when I first started up because having a little downtime helps. And now that I have a huge uh, backlog of, of videos that are being discovered all the time, I'm able to take a little bit more time for myself, which has helped, I think, Uh, improved the channel overall. So I wanted to talk on a related topic about the state of the wrap-up because this is a show that is not so evergreen. Uh, It typically is very short-lived, it gets about two or three days worth of viewership, and then it is done. And I put a lot of time into the wrap up. I have to put together the slides for this. I usually do that on Sunday afternoon, and then I spend a good chunk of the day on Monday uh, shooting and editing, either I'm editing or uh, Corey edits it for us. And so uh, this is something that requires an investment of my time and is not something that is a uh, long-lived kind of production. And I've been thinking about some ways to try to get more viewership on this, and that is where all of you come in. So I wanted to show you first, though, the uh, analytics that I've got here since 2017. So I looked at uh, January of 2017 to the present to see uh, how the wrap-up did, and you can see these little spikes here are uh, every week that we do the show, and it drops down, it goes back up, it drops down again, so uh, you can kind of see the cadence to how this show works. Again, about two or three days of viewership, and then... Uh, the episodes kind of die out. But I had a couple of hits over the last year, uh, including my uh, discussion of net neutrality, which got a lot of watch time. Uh, The Dyson vacuum cleaner debacle from a few weeks ago also got some watch time. Both of these were timely topics that were out there and being searched. And one of the things that I'm trying to avoid is covering drama and all the BS related to it. Sometimes it's something that I think might be a drama-like topic, but has some relevance to what we talk about here often. So I might cover that. So I'm trying not to get... Too clickbaity, but you can see how things in the news that are in the front of the public mind uh, do tend to get watched more often. And unlike the rest of my content, which is only about 20% subscriber views, uh, this is the opposite. In fact, about 80 to 90% of the wrap up is viewed by subscribers. And I want to be able to deliver more content to you that. Uh, might result in more watch time. So what I'm really eager to hear from all of you is to what kinds of topics do you want me to cover on the show? Uh, What segments do you think are not working? Uh, What I typically do on the show, as you all know, is we open up with a little ad I thank the supporters on Patreon and on the uh, donor box page, and then we look at the weekend review. I do a topic or two that's in the news, and then I take your questions, and then we do all the wrap up stuff at the end for uh, how you can help the channel and what's coming up later this week and whatnot. And this show has morphed from like a five minute you know, weekend review thing to now a 30 minute diatribe, and it's actually doing pretty well on the podcast side. It's starting to you know, get some viewers on the audio feed that I do. But again, I really just want to hear from you as to uh, what we can do to try to grow the the viewership here because it really doesn't grow. It stays about the same uh, with some exceptions here that we saw towards the beginning of the year, and I want to try to find some ways to uh, build it out more. So the kinds of topics that uh, you would like to see covered, I would like to hear about, Uh, So let me know down in the comment thread and we can try to figure out uh, how to spruce this little show up a little bit more to uh, get more people watching. I have no intent of stopping the wrap-up. This is something that I think is a worthy investment of my time because I'm able to hear from you directly and get some good feedback back and forth. This is really the only video that I do uh, throughout the week that directly speaks to subscribers. So I am not going to stop it, but I do want to make it better because one of the things that I very strongly believe in is continuous improvement and using data to inform that because I don't want to spend my time doing things that people don't care about. So that is why uh, we're taking a look at the wrap-up and how we might be able to make it better. So let me know down in the comments below. And now it's time for a Q&A from you, the viewers. And our first question comes in from FBD. Uh, who is referring to my review of that new Wise uh, PanCam, the little cheap $30 security camera that I reviewed this week. And he's curious about the security of the device. Uh, what level of privacy is the footage encrypted at? Does the company have access to the recordings? And uh, there is a discussion topic on the Wise forums, because there's been a lot of Uh, back and forth with the company about uh, some of the things that the camera is doing when it's communicating on the network, including uh, touching some servers in China occasionally. Apparently, it's using some APIs that require it to get uh, its data from a few different places, and people have been concerned about that. And here's the deal with this camera. They do claim that it is encrypting Uh, the video before it stores it in the cloud. They're using the Amazon uh, AWS platform, as many startups do, to store the video up there, and they say it's end-to-end encrypted, but the encryption is there maybe to prevent a hacker from getting at it in transit, but the reality is if you have a phone, download the app, and have the username and password, you get access to the video. Uh, That tells me that if a government subpoenaed them, for example, uh, they could be able to get at that footage as well, because if it's just a password protecting it, that means the company has the private keys to unlock the video, uh, which makes it less secure than if you had the key and only you had the key. And a good example of a company that really does secure these messages in a way that they're not accessible easily is Apple with iMessage. Now, this is probably going to change a bit in a few weeks when they implement their cloud syncing feature for iMessage, but in the meantime, this is still kind of a relevant discussion. So when I'm communicating with another Apple user with iMessage, my stuff is encrypted, and the key is on this phone. It's not with Apple. So what happens is I can read the message on my phone, but if maybe two years from now I buy myself an iPad, all of my old messages will not come over because the iPad doesn't have the security key to decrypt what the phone did. Moving forward, because the iPad has its key and the phone has its key, uh, both devices can look at those messages and have them synced up as you roll forward with it. And this is something that Apple's been doing for a while. It's controversial to some degree because law enforcement agencies really can't get access to those messages. And I think this is why Apple is implementing a new feature to allow you to do this uh, iMessage syncing and take some of the storage off of the device. So I've got over a gigabyte now of iMessages Uh, stored on my phone. So this new syncing feature will store things in the cloud, but of course that will uh, bring that private security key over to Apple, which will make it accessible to government entities. So this might not be a valid argument again in a couple of weeks once they turn that feature on. But this gives you an idea as to how you can do it the right way. The problem with this though is that if you ever lost a camera or somebody came in and stole your camera, you couldn't get access to the footage either if the key was actually stored on the camera itself. So there's always a trade-off between uh, security and convenience here. But the reality is that if you don't want anyone to see what you're doing under any circumstances, then get yourself one of these home security systems that work offline, that's stored to a local hard drive, and then you'll be assured that nobody can look at what you're doing, but If that system gets stolen or your house burns down in the process of being robbed, uh, you won't be able to see what happened either. So again, always a trade-off between security, uh, convenience, and necessity, and you have to weigh that for yourself as a consumer. Now, when I reviewed the Oculus Go last week, I mentioned that it's kind of a gateway drug for virtual reality and might get you into uh, more advanced stuff. And Drifter for Training wrote in to say, uh, wasn't Microsoft already there with their mixed reality headsets? And uh, yes, to some degree, they did introduce a low-end VR headset last year called Mixed Reality. I don't think it's gone over very well, uh, partly because they are currently being liquidated right now on the Microsoft Store uh, so the Lenovo Explorer headset with two motion controllers is currently selling for $199, which actually is a pretty good deal. And I think the problem that uh, we're running into with these mixed reality headsets is that uh, you have to have the right hardware specification on your computer for these to work. They're not self-contained, and when they did come out, they were selling for about two or three hundred dollars, but still needed the PC to work. So you had to have a compatible computer and you had to buy the headset, whereas with the Oculus Go, you buy the headset, strap it on your head, charge it up, and you're done. There's nothing else to get because all the guts are inside the headset itself. That is not the case here with mixed reality. And I think the other problem consumers are facing is that uh, you need to have a 7th generation Intel Core i5 if your computer doesn't have a GPU on board. And as we all know, uh, most consumer laptops don't have the GPU. They just have the Intel graphics. And I think many consumer laptops that are out there to, uh, to the market that might be buying one of these mixed reality headsets don't have a seventh generation chip. They're probably on a sixth generation or earlier. And if you ask a consumer, what generation Intel chip do you have in your computer, they're going to say, I don't know, I'm not going to bother with this. And I think they're going to go to something like an Oculus Go or a smartphone-based system that they know is going to work and is simpler to get up and running. So the reality is, yes, if you have a seventh-generation computer, you're good to go for 200 bucks with that uh, Lenovo set there. However, uh, it's not going to be a great experience with just the Intel graphics. It runs at 60 frames per second. Uh, on those Intel GPUs. If you have a computer with a GPU, uh, they're recommending a 1060 or better, uh, then you could probably get by with an older Intel processor, just like you could on other virtual reality headsets. And at this point, you may as well get the Oculus Rift, which will be a better experience in the end, and uh, costs about the same with the motion controllers. So, A lot of complexity here on the PC-based VR from a consumer standpoint. It is not a simple turnkey situation here with Windows Mixed Reality. And H.S. wrote in about my computer reviews and was wondering if I might be able to add another benchmark to the mix, which is Geekbench 4. And I try not to put too many benchmarks into my reviews, primarily because I am targeting consumers who just want to see how the laptop works. And I think if we start putting in too many technical benchmarks, it might start throwing people off. I found that... Uh, the 3D Mark Cloudgate test that I run on most of my reviews is adequate because it gives me an idea as to uh, processor power as well as graphical computational abilities. And I think that is a good way to compare it against other computers without going too far into the weeds. And of course, we run that browser bench uh, speedometer test just to get a feel for that. But if you want the detail, and you really want all those technical nitty-gritty things on a laptop that you're considering, uh, notebookcheck.net is a great website to check out. Uh, We interviewed Douglas Black, who's one of the writers for that site, and they go deep on this stuff. I mean, they go down to uh, these close-up views of the uh, actual LCD panels, all the thermals. They run a bevy of benchmarks here, including Geekbench 3 and 4. Uh, They have comparisons to other laptops in the class. They've got a huge database that they maintain of... Uh, one of these machines compared to the other. And I think if you are looking for that level of detail, definitely head over there. I think in a YouTube review, uh, having more hands-on demonstration is better than just a lot of benchmarks being blasted on screen. So again, go over to uh, laptopnotebookcheck.net Uh, to get that level of detail if you want it. Love to hear your thoughts down below in the comments on this. And our Q&A for you this week is about YouTube burnout. I would love to hear from all of you about maybe some of your favorite creators who scaled back some of their content. Uh, One I'm thinking about is The Daily Woo, who was doing a great travel vlog where he was traveling the United States and every day posting up a pretty lengthy edited video, which he just could not sustain. So now he's going to do uh, more irregular stuff, which is doing just as well as his daily stuff was doing. But I'd love to hear from you about some of your favorite creators that have scaled back and why. Our channel of the week this week is another great one that you may not have heard of before called Technology Connections, and he covers the gamut. He's kind of like me in that he just looks at a whole bunch of different stuff. Uh, but he focuses a lot on retro technology, including uh, Laserdisc here, VHS, and how that worked, and some copy protection that uh, was implemented. And he goes deep into this stuff with really good, easy to understand, but technical details about how these things worked. He reminds me a lot of Techmoan, uh, just does you know, a different approach to things, and I think he's a great addition to uh, the retro hardware scene. But he covers more modern things as well, including... Uh, electric cars and that sort of thing too. So a great website if you want to learn more about how things uh, worked both before and how things work now. Uh, And I've been enjoying some of his content and kind of digging through all of that. And you can find his channel at the link you see on screen. So this week I've got a couple of things planned already. Uh, Later today I am interviewing Elias Saba for our upcoming podcast episode. And we're going to talk about his site, AFTVnews.com. He focuses Uh, primarily on the Amazon hardware and content ecosystem, and he's making a living doing it. So we'll talk about how he uh, made this his full-time job and how uh, maybe Amazon is progressing in their uh, plans for global domination. He's been doing a great job there. He was on uh, some of our CES coverage a little earlier in the year, so I'm looking forward to talking with him later today. And I've got in the new DS1618 Plus from Synology, uh, this is a six-bay NAS with an Intel processor, and it's not all that expensive. I think it's like under a thousand dollars to get in the door with this one. And I would love to hear from you about what you'd want to see in a review of this, because the Synology devices, to their credit, uh, work the same even at the low end. So a lot of what we've covered before is relevant here. So I want to talk about the things that are unique to this device. So of course. Uh, why you might want a six-bay NAS will be part of that discussion, but I'd love to hear from you about uh, some things you would like to see covered in that review. I'm also going to start working on the Nokia Sleep this week, which is a uh, sleep tracking device, because I am uh, going to get a new mattress soon, and I want to do a, an analysis as to whether or not this mattress is working for me based on how I'm sleeping now on my old mattress. So we're going to do about two weeks of data Uh, on the old mattress with the Nokia Sleep. I haven't yet hooked it up yet, but I'm going to get it going, review it, and then uh, we'll have an analysis a little bit later on about how my new mattress is doing from a very uh, data-based analysis, which I hope this device will provide to us. So we'll be uh, looking at that as well. There might be some other things that just show up here in the course of the week that, of course, I will get to as well. So stay tuned. If you want to help the channel, you can. You can go to lawntv support and make a monthly or a one-time contribution to the channel uh, using my donor box system. We can also direct you to Patreon there. We have our ongoing relationship with Plex, where if you sign up for a Plex account, no credit card required, we get a small commission. So if you want to try out that podcast thing, you can do that and help the channel at the same time. If you want a Plex Pass, you can do the Plex Pass or the Plex Gift uh, to gift a Plex Pass to somebody else. We have other channels for you to check out. My extras channel for unboxings and supplementary content. The podcast, which is the audio version of this show, as well as my monthly interview. We have my snippets channel at lon.tv slash snippets, which are Uh, search-friendly components of this video to try to get a little bit more life out of them, which is why I do the Snippets channel. And we have my live stream archive at lawntv slash live streams. And if you like what I'm doing, definitely click on that bell to be notified of all the things that I am uploading to the channel. So uh, definitely do that if you don't want to miss anything. YouTube's algorithm doesn't always put things in front of you, so this is a way to make sure that it does when it's working. Uh, you can also engage with the channel on my email list at lon.tv slash email. We have the Facebook page at lon.tv slash Facebook, but we also have a Facebook group that is more engaging uh, than the page is at lon.tv slash Facebook group. Uh, more than 300 of you are in there congregating and discussing, so definitely join the discussion there by signing up. And we have the store where I sell things that I have previously reviewed here on the channel and I'm now getting rid of. And you can get off in a very uh, like-new device that was just reviewed here uh, for a low price. And if you want to be alerted as to when new items go in the store, you can sign up for an email alert at lon.tv slash store alert. So that's going to do it for this week's weekly wrap-up. We'd love to hear your feedback on how we can improve this show and increase its watch time. Let me know down in the comments below. And as always, I appreciate your viewership, your feedback, and all of the other things you're doing to help this channel continue to grow. So until next time, this is Lon Sibin and I want to thank you very much for watching. We'll see you soon. This channel is brought to you by the Lon.tv supporters, including Gold Level supporters of the Black and Blues Music Hour podcast, Chris Allegretta, and Kalyan Kumar. If you want to help the channel, you can by contributing as little as a dollar a month. Head over to lon.tv support to learn more. And don't forget to subscribe. Visit lon.tv s.